you guys for coming. This week we will be discussing Trump's foreign policy. We'll start 2017, 2018, 2019, and then finally 2020. And we're gonna focus on like agreements he's left, agreements he started, and like relationships with other um, leaders. I guess our first question has to do with it on a broader scale though. Um, from the inception of his presidency, he's basically adopted this notion of America first. And do you think that this notion is more beneficial or harmful? Do you think it's more important to put American lives above maybe lives internationally? He says put America first. He doesn't mean every American. He means only the people that he deems uh, fit. If he was really putting America first, we wouldn't, be, we wouldn't still be having Black Lives Matter marches because he'd be putting American problems on American soil that have been going on for 400 years the top of his list because that's part of America. But he thinks just the straight white Christian uh, Americans, those are the ones that he's going to protect over anyone else. Why do you say that? Like what, what policy measures do you believe that he should have implemented that would have prioritized different lives? Meaning like, why, why do you well, say that? I'm just going to point out that he did repeal uh, trans people in the military uh, he repealed, he asked us about that, right? So the trans, trans ban is not saying that trans people can't serve in the military. It's saying that the military will not pay for transition surgery, which costs in excess of $200,000. I'm not like, but they'll pay for limp dick. They won't, they will not pay for someone. Right. They will pay for Viagra though. Right. I, I, I completely that think makes sense. Right. The, but the, um, they should be, I think, uh, ACA should cover, um, birth control and et cetera, but that's a different issue, right? The, I'm saying the trans bill is not banning transgender people from serving in the military. It's simply saying the military will not pay for your trans. A lot of people think that the trans ban is literally saying if you're trans, you can't serve in the military, which is not the case. That doesn't, okay, but that doesn't excuse the millions of dollars spent on Viagra and similar pills for military. Excluding the trans bill, he also asked the Supreme Court to uh, allow adoption agencies to turn away uh, gay couples on the basis of- It's only private adoption agencies. Yeah, that, that's, yes. that's, that's Christian agencies. But that's still discrimination on the basis of sex. There's one Christian adoption agency in the entire United States which falls under that category and they are allowed to legally turn away people. I'm not, I, I agree with certain parts of what you're saying. I think the trans medical bill or the repeal of 1557, which you know allows doctors to discriminate based on the basis of like gender, I think that's stupid, right? That's idiotic. But, but at the same time, like the trans-military bill, as well as the adoption agencies, they're not, like a lot of people are very misled about what they actually mean. Like the trans bill, I explained already, but the adoption agency, it's one adoption agency, which is a Christian-led adoption agency, which is now allowed to like turn away people. And which is fair because again, it's, although I disagree with them, it's their right and their liberty. Like, like they're um, on like the terms of American jobs, how let's bring overseas jobs to America. He's not doing that. Because, I mean, it is cheaper to have your manufacturing in China. But in terms of, like, the economy and, like, American jobs, it's better to have it here, but he's not doing that. His Trump merch, it's all made in China. Like, everything is made in China. Like, Ivanka's, like, fashion company, everything is made in China. You could also think of this in, like, the sphere of the Middle East. His idea of kind of, like, pulling out troops of the Middle East. We're going to talk about that later. But do you think that in terms of like preserving the lives of like American troops and kind of like protecting the military, do you think pulling out 
is okay as long as we're protecting American lives, even though maybe some lives in the Middle East are lost. Absolutely. The greatest American foreign policy stance of all time is that intervention. I think we're way too involved overseas. Ultimately, we're not the world's police, and while I do think we can certainly play a role overseas, we are not solely, we should solely bear the burden of supplying virtually, you know, some countries, we supply their entire military budget for them, um, where, while they, you know, provide virtually no fiscal um, responsibility for protecting, you know, people overseas. So we bear too much of the brunt of the responsibility. And I think there was a poll that came out a couple of months ago that showed like in excess of 75% of Americans think we're too involved overseas. So I think scaling back our involvement. Do you think it's America's duty to promote democracy in the Middle East? And that's why most, that's pretty much the reason why we have intervened so many times. I mean, other than retaliating after 9-11. And it's also not really limited to the Middle East as well. You can see the same thing in Latin America. So not even really about the Trump presidency, but the role of America. We haven't promoted really much democracy in the Middle East. We sell to one of the largest, we sell weapons on a mass scale to one of the largest, uh, what's it called, one of the largest monarchies in the world right now, Saudi Arabia. They are one of our, they are our biggest uh, buyer of weaponry. So we're not promoting democracy, we're promoting monarchy. I fundamentally agree with America first. I just don't think Donald Trump has necessarily followed that principle. I think almost in every instance where we've gotten involved overseas, with the exception of World War II, you know, the World Wars, etc. Um, but in many other instances, it's simply been too much and it's pretty much always been to the detriment of the actual country. Well, like I wrote um, a research paper this past year about our involvement in Latin America in the 1950s and like the you know, coups we instituted there, and it's pretty much always been to advance our corporate interests. Um, whether it was, you know, like in Iran, it was to advance our oil interests there. In Latin America, it was for United Fruit Company, and um, which is now Chiquita. Um, so pretty much, it's always it's never really with the intention of democracy. We always have a you know subversive goal. Okay, I guess we'll start moving into more Trump's policies, and this will come up over and over again. This idea of intervention or non-intervention, and how Trump has dealt with that, but we can talk about. It. Um, in 2017, Trump withdrew from the Paris Agreement, which was basically an 195 country agreement to combat climate change. And basically the U.S. would have agreed to cut down on its carbon emissions. And his justification was that it would be harming American workers, specifically those within coal mining. Does this justify leaving the agreement? And to what point should Trump put American lives and the economy above the environment? It's kind of a mixed bag because although I think, so climate change, in my opinion, is the most important you know, issue facing the world today. But so I think Trump's stance on coal is kind of, um, it's unbelievable because first of all, he's been one of the most coal friendly presidents uh, in you know, recent history and yet coal plants continue to close at rapid rates. So his justification for leaving the climate courts is pretty ridiculous. But the Paris Accords themselves are not, it's, it's quite misunderstood, right? So what it is, it's just a bunch of countries supposed like commitment, quote unquote, non-binding, stapled together. and. If you act like I've actually read the Paris Accords, and it's pretty, it's not a, it's not really a great, you know, um, call to action. The only real thing it accomplished was that it showed that all countries could come together with the unifying goal of, you know, attacking climate change. Pretty much every study shows that all the commitments that the countries put forward, they were on target even before the Paris Accords to hit. And in some cases, the commitment commitments they put forward are even like less ambitious than what they were going to do. For example, China set forth, you know, to reduce emissions by X percent by 2030. They were slated to already reduce emissions to that point by 2028 before. 
I mean, a lot of politics is about doing things for show and kind of like showing your side of, or like, in, as in president's position is kind of showing his view on certain issues. So do you think this move was more of a political move than actually having to do with the economy and kind of showing the Republican Party that he doesn't believe in climate change, which was a big running point, big stance he took on his during his campaign. It's an appeal tactic because uh, a quick Google search will get you to the Federal Reserve Bank of Louisiana, uh, which tells you that in America in 2016, the most number of coal miners we had employed was a staggering 60,000, pe- no, not even 50,000 people. 50,000 jobs, that's a lot of jobs, but that's also not enough to justify leaving an agreement that would save the planet for that would at least make some efforts to save the planet in the future. Um, Again, in 2017, Trump withdrew from the 2015 Iran nuclear deal, which was created by Obama. Um, And this deal gave sanctions relief to Iran if they limited their stockpile of medium enriched uranium. Um, and cut their stockpile of low enriched uranium by 98%. Um, and so these are all obviously materials that could be made to create nuclear weapons. And Trump stated that Iran's behavior violated the um, spirit of agreement and they did not fully comply and therefore he pulled out. Um, but records do show that they were following this protocol and they were limiting their um, production. So what are your thoughts on the withdrawal of this agreement? Does it do more good than harm? I, I kind of mixed feelings on it because on the one hand, I think, um, you know, implementing, implementing policy that would have, you know, stopped this nuclearization of many of these volatile countries is certainly something we want to go towards. Um, however, at the same time, sanctions on Iran were proving to be very effective. Because Iran had refused to come to the table to negotiate with the U.S. You know, in recent years, like post, um, you know, post Obama under Trump, unless the U.S. like lessened sanctions on them, um, and they'd also made a similar commitment to you know come to the table to completely denuclearize under Obama, but they they just never ended up doing so. So when we implemented sanctions on Iran, it it hit them really hard, um, and. It proved so. Iran's, you know, economy is largely oil and very, you know, heavily related to the Strait of Hormuz and such. So when we, you know, sanction them, it's an incredibly effective tool. So while I do think pursuing the policy of, you know, denuclearization is certainly a goal we want to have, the sanctions were also being very effective. So I'm kind of mixed up because of the fact that he's our president. He's a U.S. president, and he doesn't. I guess we talked about this earlier, but he doesn't have. Like, there's no need for him to be in the Middle East because it doesn't have anything to do with us. Do you think that's important? Or do you think that he should, that we should stay in the Middle East to continue to pro- promote democracy and maybe save some of the lives of people in Syria or people in Yemen? If America's still going through intense issues that are deeply rooted in America's past, I think we should prioritize dealing with our, like, yes, we can do a lot to help, but we also need a lot of help ourselves. And I think that we should work on fixing ourselves and getting ourselves to a place that's at least somewhat tolerable before we even begin to consider um, 
Uh, In 2018, Trump instituted a new immigration uh, zero tolerance policy that resulted in the U.S. Border Patrol separating more than 2,600 children from their parents. And as of June 8, 2020, there was 124 children still in in ICE custody, according to the ruling. Trump hoped this policy would be a deterrent for other people from other illegal immigrants coming to the U.S.-Mexico border. Has this policy worked? And is it humane for Trump to be withholding children at the border if it is to deter people from illegally immigrating to the U.S.? I mean, it's just no. Because, I mean, yes, Obama did set up those cages, but with his, like, illegal immigration system, which has been going down since the 80s, it was more so, like, punishment. But, like, it wasn't just, like, if you're a legal immigrant, you have to go. Just, like, if you did something. And, like, now he's trying to, he was, like, hoping to overturn DACA, which obviously didn't work. And it's just, it's, like, irritating. Because, like, he's redirecting, like, like, his, his, like, purpose. Like, he's redirecting his focus on the wrong issues that have been decreasing. It's, like, I don't understand why immigration is a big deal when it's been going down for so long. Do you think it's necessary to deter people from trying to come illegally into the U.S.? Realistically, I think he's just going about it the wrong way. I think instead of focusing on the ones who are here, instead, so a lot of the legal immigration stems from Central America, where a lot of the you know, countries and nations are quite, you know, in tumult, um, like El Salvador, Guatemala, etc., um, where, you know, cartels, instability, gang violence is extremely high, and therefore many... Uh, Many of the families there try to escape um, and pass through Mexico. So instead of focusing on building a wall or uh, deporting immigrants, I think instead the you know smarter solution would be to try and invest in those countries and try and decrease the gang violence at the very root instead of uh, you know trying to deport illegal immigrants. Even from a fiscally conservative um, standpoint, it doesn't make much sense to deport illegal immigrants because. They're already ingrained in communities, they have jobs, etc. So by deporting them, you're forcing the companies then to retrain, rehire, go on job searches to find new applicants, which costs them a lot of money, first of all. It also detracts from, you know, communities' uh, economic output as well. And also, you know, this is more regarding the Trump rhetoric as well as the Republican Party rhetoric, but blaming the loss of jobs in, you know, America on illegal immigrants is probably incorrect. It's more, you know, related to automation. I also would uh, like to raise the idea that you know, people who are uh, most like most claimed the loudest about illegal immigration are also people who would scoff at ever applying to work on a farm as farm labor. They're sheep to capitalism. That's what I've been saying for ages. Like they are such sheep that they don't see how the system is not working for them. It's not benefiting them at all. So like limiting the ways for legal immigration, like just like yesterday, I think, or was it two days ago, he's like making, like ICE is like making sure that like, if your class is um, online fully, then you have to go back to your home country. Well, no, like think about time zone, like everyone here is working on like an assignment at 10 a.m. And like here, like in your home country, it might be like not fit. I still don't know why he's not super mad about the Russia bounty thing. Because it is true. I mean, like, it has been confirmed true whether he wants to call it fake news or not. It's just, like, what he's doing. And, like, from, like, I heard, I was listening to a podcast. And it turns out, like, the only, Putin's only quote unquote punishment is not inviting him to the G7 summit, which he's already been taking out of. So, I mean, like, it's just frustrating. Because, for one, Russia had 
medal in our 2016 election. So you can't be mad at the person that helped you win. I mean, I surely won it. Whatever you did, but you helped me win. I wouldn't be mad. See, that's what Trump is thinking. He doesn't care what's best for the American people. Long is it best for him? That's all that matters. Even though they had a bounty hunt on an American person, but you know. Do you believe that Trump's personal relationships with um, foreign leaders is dangerous, um, specifically those that don't maybe necessarily act in the best interest of the country, but his personal interests? I think every, like, everything, like, any relation with Trump personally is a very dangerous thing. Because, I mean, like, think about, like, the G7 summit in, like, 2018, I think. You can see how our relationships with our, our allies, our global, our world leaders are de- demolishing because of, like, Trump's personality. And, like, even at that summit, he was like, well, we're, like, where's Russia? Where's Russia? Where's Russia? It's the G7 summit. Like, they kicked him out because they couldn't trust him. It used to be the G8, but they couldn't trust him. And, like, you can see, like, him bashing all the world leaders, all the world leaders making fun of him. And, like, the fact that, like, he has, like, relationship with Putin, which is, like, in my opinion, a dictator right now, because he's going to be in power until 2036 in Russia, with, like, Kim Jong-un in North Korea, and, like, the Chinese, the president of China, which is, like, the Communist Party. It's just very dangerous, because he's ditching our allies and going for the enemies. He's not fit to be president. He doesn't listen to nobody that knows what they're actually talking about, but... It's all going to fall back on him, and it's going to make this country look bad, so. Yeah, he's not good. And honestly, after John Bolton's book and Mary Trump's book, Gone Now, he is not fit. I don't understand how anyone can still support him. So why do you think people still support him if you think that he hasn't made any policies that have helped the nation? Well, I don't agree with Trump on a lot of things. The people who vote for him are not inherently bad or not inherently, you know, white supremacists. They're just people who didn't see Hillary Clinton as the one who's going to lead, a, you know, come back in their, you know, Midwestern or middle American economies. They didn't see the, her as someone who represented them. Yeah, well, I understand what he did there. He, go, he went for the um, blue collar block of voters. And that's a great tactic for your first term. For your first four years, that will probably work. But by now, the entire country has seen what he's been, what he's been. For sure, I think it's, uh, it'll be much harder for Donald Trump this time around to win, considering as an incumbent, he can't appeal to people saying he's an outsider to Washington, at least give, you know, give me a chance. I'm not going to, I'm not a career politician, I'll fight for your common interest. It'll be much more difficult this time. Thank you all so much for coming. I think this was really cool way to look at his past policies in terms of the international world leading up to the 2020 election, and we hope to see you guys soon. We want our discussions to be a reflection of all viewpoints, so if you are a teen and you feel that your opinions were not reflected by this podcast, please join us to be heard.